back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a music producer. In this episode, I have a chat with Waspy from the dance R&B group called Dirty Radio. They've released three full-length albums and a ton of singles on labels such as Spinnin', Mad Decent, and Majestic Casual. I was excited to have them on because even though their music is more dance floor oriented, they come from more of a traditional music and hip hop background. So if you're somebody that's maybe a bit too locked into the EDM scene, you'll have a ton to learn from their perspective and approach to music. They've been working on this project for over a decade, so Waspy has a ton to share on what he's learned over that time and looking back how he would have done some things differently. There's three core members of the Dirty Radio group, so we talk about how they came together, what their roles are, and how those roles have developed over time. It's a very songwriting forward project, so we talk a lot about how they start and develop ideas. I think a lot of producers just open the door and wait for inspiration to strike, and Waspy talks about why that's often a bad idea and what he does to start tracks off the right way. Overall, he offers a ton of valuable advice on production, marketing, and networking, especially for those of you that really haven't stepped out of the electronic scene. Now, Dirty Radio is dropping a new single tomorrow called Nobody Does It Better, which I'll put you a preview of as we slide to the interview. It's an awesome track, definitely worth checking out. One last thing, we're in the season of Black Friday sales, which means music producers all around the world are rationing out their Christmas bonuses. To stay on trend, Edium Prod is having our annual Black Friday sale with up to 50% off of our courses. This includes 50% off our brand new course, the Lo-Fi Hip Hop Blueprint, which will teach you the workflow, techniques, and creative tactics behind producing Lo-Fi Hip Hop. There's also a big discount on our flagship course, Edium Foundations, which is our course for newer producers that teaches the fundamentals of music production by walking producers through the creation of four full songs. We did a full revamp of this course earlier this year, including both FL and live versions, so be sure to check that out if you're looking to speed up your production growth. It's the support of these courses that makes this podcast possible, especially since we don't have any paid advertisers, so be sure to visit ediumprod.com to check out all of our Black Friday deals. With that, let's get to the interview. Here's the EDM podcast with Dirty Radio and a preview of their single, Nobody Does It Better. It's a vibe, it's a vibe, me and mom. Oh my God, oh my God, I can't know. All the signs and the stars are pointing back to you. Cause nobody does, nobody does it better, no. All right, welcome back to the EDM Podcast today. I'm joined by Waspy from Dirty Radio. Waspy, how are you doing today, man? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, of course. So as always, I'd love to just learn a bit about your background. I'd love to learn about what you were doing beforehand and then how you moved over into working together in this project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started making music when I was pretty young. Uh, I had a couple really good friends of mine from like elementary school and uh, their parents had a studio in their basement. So we'd go and jam on weekends and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up playing like punk music, rock, uh, like grunge, um, really got into like metal, industrial music, and then really got into dance music when I was probably in like junior high. Um, and then got into hip hop, the whole thing. So basically uh, I, I had a, a band that I kind of grew up with that thing kind of fell apart um, after we had invested a ton of money into a record, which was super unfortunate. But um, luckily, I kind of decided that I wanted to leave Vancouver and just put myself out there and try and find a vocalist. And a couple days after I moved to Vancouver, I met Shaddy. 
And um, I, I feel like I kind of manifested it. And uh, yeah, and so uh, we immediately started working together. At that point, I was living in my grandma's basement <laughs> and, and I had a, a Korg Triton and thought I was a producer. I was like, yeah, I'm a producer, even though I didn't really know anything about anything. And uh, yeah, we just kind of started writing together and I'd say it developed pretty naturally from there. How did you two originally get linked up together? Uh, I was I was actually at a promo it was it was like a night that a, a guy i knew who was like a radio promoter was doing and he was working with this new band they were launching and the band wasn't very good but i just i met shaddy there it was sort of like an industry thing and a whole bunch of people were hanging out and uh i had had a couple drinks and i'm like damn that guy looks like a singer and i just walked up to him and i was like yo bro do you sing and he's like i do and i was like cool can you sing uh i'm a hustler baby like because i told him i was i was pretty much obsessed with pharrell so I was just like, can you do that? And uh, he nailed it in the club. And I was like, damn, he actually can sing. And then, yeah, literally, we started working together right after. Sounds like the funniest audition I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer of like manifestation and like riding the wave. And like, if you're dedicating yourself to constantly improving yourself and putting yourself out there in the best situations you possibly can for whatever vision it is you have, I think... Um, you'll run into the right people. And that was, that was like a really huge cornerstone in my life in terms of, you know, creating this, this moment and actually linking with somebody who it turns out I was a hundred percent meant to be working with, you know? I guess, where are you originally from? You said you moved to Vancouver. Uh, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Edmonton originally, okay. Alberta. <laughs> How important do yeah. you think it was for you to just get out of your environment to go somewhere new? You know, Vancouver isn't the stereotypical music industry town, but just going somewhere big where there is a bit of a culture, especially as far as Canada goes, I would say Vancouver is top two with Toronto. Yeah, um, pretty invaluable. I mean, Alberta was a great spot to, you know, grow up and I had lots of friends there and it, it's a cool town, but I feel like anybody with any ambition eventually has to go somewhere else. And Unfortunately, like the music industry in Canada is pretty fragmented. You really only have Vancouver or Toronto. Um, and I don't know, I was always way more about the beach and way more about like the West Coast lifestyle. Um, it was closer to Los Angeles. And I think I just needed to go somewhere in Canada where there was more happening. And so that was kind of the goal for me. So once you first met him, started linking up together, were you just doing like collaborations for fun? Like when did that seed start to get planted that you might want to work on an artist project together? Yeah, um, I mean, I had a, at that point, I had a Korg Triton. Like I went from being like a, a drummer in a metal band, like, or like a, I guess we, at that point, the band I was, I was uh, in, we kind of sounded like The Killers or like Franz yeah. Ferdinand, Modest Mouse, like that whole sort of vibe that was really big at that point. Korg, mm -hmm. Sort of like the dance rock thing. And then uh, we had a reel-to-reel ADAT -reel, um, machine. I had a studio set up in Edmonton at my grandma's house there. My grandmas were always super supportive, by the way. Shout out to, <laughs> to, uh, to them. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I was just, I went, I, I think I heard the first NERD record uh, in search of, and it kind of like changed my life. Like it really showed me that you could do hip hop with live drums and like funk and rock together in a way that was like new and fresh and and really inspired me to start making beats on my Korg Triton, got me into the Neptunes. And I, I kind of, I really started playing a lot of keys and uh, diversifying myself and then just kind of starting to make beats. So when I rolled in Vancouver, um, I had a whole bunch of beats ready to go that kind of were in that vibe. And I think playing those for Shaddy, he was like, okay, this is dope. And we did, when we started writing, we honestly had no goals other than 
I just wanted to like work with a singer and try and make music, you know, like, yeah. like we weren't sitting there trying to be like anything other than just jamming for fun and seeing what came out of it. So when you moved to Vancouver, was that just you wanting to like do something new and be like, Hey, music's fun. I might as well chase it. Or did you have bigger dreams with it? Oh no, not dude. I was like so insanely driven. Like I, you don't understand the band I was in before I left to Vancouver. I was like, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. Like I spent so much money on our record. Cause at that point I didn't know how to produce. And so I was paying producers and I was paying for studio time and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I linked up with Shaddy, although like we didn't really have a goal per se, I knew I was like, I want to link with a singer and like be the biggest, you know, like I want to, I want to kill it and I want to write the best songs. But I, I think there's also a level it's like you have to have a level of delusion, which I think I had where I was like, yeah, I'm so amazing, yeah. even though I didn't actually I wasn't actually amazing at all. But then you also have to be like, this is a journey, you know, and like I'm getting into it. And so for me, I just I made a conscious effort at that point in my life because I used to work in radio like I had a full career um, and, you know, I was on the ra- I was on the air um I launched a few radio stations. And so I, I kind of saw work ethic wise what it took to be successful within that industry. And I, I really tried to apply it as if I was on my own as an entrepreneur. And so that meant like absolutely decimating my social life, like doing nothing but making beats in my room for like all day, every day, you know, and, and I really yeah. dedicated myself in that way. And so I think when I linked up with Shaddy, he kind of saw that he was like, Oh, you really don't do anything but like, make beats like that's all you do and i'm like yeah i literally sit here all day long and make beats <laughs> and uh i actually no, i had to get a job at roger's video otherwise my grandma <laughs> wouldn't let me uh stay at the house but um but yeah like I, I literally i simplified my life to the point of like getting up and doing music every single day all day long and uh and that was kind of the start of it and i think he noticed that oh this kid's actually working like every day and every time he'd show up to hang out i'd have like three new beats to play him you know so it was yeah. it was really easy because he was just such a talented top liner and would just come up with really awesome melodies right away and it was just it was supernatural like it wasn't like we had to try you know yeah i think that's a really undervalued part of growing as a producer and growing in the music industry is finding people that have that exact same ambition and drive and it seems like he, you know, was a talented top liner and saw that in you and then wanted to connect and work with you. And, you know, we'll talk more about the, you know, aspect of being a duo later on. But I think that's a crucial part when you're finding people that you want to grow with. It's important to find people that have that same ambition and drive. Because like you said, if you're going to make it in this industry, you have to be absolutely working your ass off. And the more time that you can dedicate to music, the better chance you have of success. Absolutely. So once you started writing together and kind of collaborating, you said he was singing on some of your songs. What did that process look like for you to develop this Dirty Radio project together? Well, to be honest, the whole first, I'd say two, three years of us working together, like Dirty Radio wasn't even anything. Like there was no concept of that at all. In fact, um, we had a whole bunch of different names before Dirty Radio. I think what really sort of created the dirty radio entity was a bunch of mishaps like a bunch of like messing up and then being like okay you can't do that or that's not a good idea for example um you know he would come and record on my beats and when i say record on my beats i would like uh take my beats straight from the keyboard and go on to like a burnable cd with his vocal like live at the same time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I'd be I'd just be listening to these demos being like, yo, these songs are hot, but like, why doesn't it sound like Timbaland? Like, I just, I didn't <laughs> understand. Like, I didn't get the production aspect of it or like the engineering aspect of it. And so um, like, like many people in our situation who don't really know what the hell they're doing, but have good song ideas, 
um, we started working with a producer who I'd worked with extensively, who was actually part of my family. And um, oh, cool. long story short, we spent quite a bit of money between two of us. Um, and we just weren't happy with the product. And it, it was sort of one of those situations that I think a lot of young uh, artists or, you know, musicians get into where they end up working with somebody paying them, and they're not they're not happy with the results. And then what do you do at that point? You, you know, do you spend more money to fix it? Or do you not release it? Or do you release it, but not be yeah, happy? Yeah. And you know what I mean? Totally. And uh, so luckily, around that time, um, we ran into a guy who I'd always sort of been friends with through another really good friend of mine named Anthony, who's now the third part of Dirty Radio. And uh, he was working in the music and or sorry, the movie industry at the time, he was a uh, director's assistant, and he was doing his thing. And he had just gotten Pro Tools. And I was okay. like, dude, I have all these sessions in Pro Tools <laughs> that I can't open because I don't have Pro Tools, <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, this is the predicament of being, like, how long ago this was. And yeah. I'm like, can, can we come over to your house and, and load these sessions up? And so we, we took a ferry to Victoria where he was living and uh, opened this stuff up, started working on it together. And again, like, everything happens so naturally. I'm hanging out with Anthony, and Shaddy wasn't there at this point. And uh, this girl who was a singer, you know, she rolled by, and she heard some of the beats I was making, and Anthony was sitting there with me and she's like, oh my God, like, what if I hire you guys to do a song for me? And, and I'm just sitting there being like, all right, well, why, who, why would I turn this opportunity down? I'm a producer, right? You know, like, obviously I'm going to take every opportunity. And so that's kind of how Anthony and I got into it. We made three songs for this girl. She was super stoked. We got paid. Uh, and then we kind of sat there and I'm just like, damn, if you and I can make music together and Shaddy can do the vocals, like we can basically not have to pay anybody for studio time <laughs> and we can yeah. like mess around on our own, uh, do our own stuff and not have to worry about, you know, running against the clock or whatever. And, uh, of course, Shaddy's a wicked musician. So he shows up, we all start jamming together. And it was just, like I said, it was just a really natural process. And, uh, I think originally when we first started, we, we kind of were taking that whole, like, we want to be producers tip. Like we want to produce for other artists, but that kind of stopped after we had a meeting with a, uh, a girl whose name is Barb Seedon, and uh, she was very involved with different labels and stuff around here. And, and she heard a bunch of stuff we'd been working on and was just like, yo, why don't you take Shaddy and do a project with him and make him the singer? And, you know, focus it a little bit more because if you can get your songs on the radio or gain notoriety with him, then, you know, you'll have more people wanting to come for your production anyways. So she kind of like set that whole direction uh, in motion, I would say. I always love hearing about the first time that people make money in music because for so many artists, it's such like a crazy idea that they'll get paid for their art. So like what was like what was that like for you that first time that you got hired to do a paid project with music, especially given the fact that you don't, at least at this time, didn't have an extensive production background. Oh my God. It was incredible. I mean, you know, it's like, what, what is it like that or work at the mall, you know, <laughs> like, and, and no offense, but like, fuck the mall. Like I'm not, I don't know. Like, like I've done so many jobs, especially in the, in the beginning after I got out of radio, just to like be able to come home every night and make beats till like three in the morning. I had to have whatever job I had at that point and countless, like I did so many different jobs. And it's really one of those things that when you start making money from music, like you don't take it for granted, you know, like it, it really is the best thing ever to be able to be creative and get paid for it. And uh, obviously, you know, especially when you're starting out, like certain months are better than others, and you got to do what you got to do. But yeah, man, like, that's, I, I feel like the money is 
to me, it, it's it's working on something with somebody creatively facilitating their vision and having them be like completely happy with it to the point where they're like, yeah, I'll give you my money. You know, like I feel like that's a that's a really valuable thing and something that everybody has to kind of strive for. So fast forwarding a little bit, you guys have been working together for about a decade now. I want to dive more into your songwriting process because I think there's going to be a lot of valuable insights that people can get from it. So nowadays, when you two are working on a track together, what does that general songwriting and production workflow look like? Um, there's definitely a few different avenues of how it can, uh, how a song can sort of like take form or whatever. Um, let me think about the best way to answer this. I mean, first of all, everything starts with us liking the beat. You know, like we all have to sit here unanimously and be like, we're super stoked on this beat. And that it doesn't matter if like I made it or Shaddy made it or, you know, some producer that we think is dope sent it to us or whatever. It's like everybody has to sit here and say like, okay, this is cool. And then generally if everyone's on the same page um, and even sometimes if we don't have that meeting, you know, Shaddy will hear something that he likes and he'll come up with a melody right away. Yeah. And so he's always like voice noting different melodies that he's singing. Um, and it's, it's pretty obvious. Like I said, you know, like when something clicks, the song is good in terms of the beat and just the melodies, even though there's no concept yet, there's no lyrics or anything like that. If that makes us super stoked, I feel like that's kind of the starting point for every single song. I, I, I mean, it, this is also contingent upon like, sometimes we'll just jam out and have a really cool beat and the melody won't come for like another day or two or whenever it comes. Right. But, but I would say in general, if I'm making a beat and Shaddy walks in, he likes it, he'll like, let me know right away or he'll start freestyling. And then similarly, if, you know, a producer sends us something through email and we're listening on a SoundCloud, like we'll, we'll look at each other and we'll know right away if we're really feeling it. Do you feel like the two or three of you have the same taste when it comes to where you want to be directing this project or are there times where you have to like negotiate where you're going to go with a track or anything along those lines? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really depends. Like it, I think it's something you hear. It sounds super cliche, but like all the best songs just sort of happen, you know, they all are like really quick conceptually, melodically. Sometimes it might be a little more for either one of those, but I'd say like all of the best songs we've released and put out all of our favorite tracks have all happened pretty effortlessly. I think it's more when you get into a point where something's not working and then we're all sitting there looking at each other being like, okay, what yeah. if we try this? What if we try this? You know, or having, uh, having a disagreement about like what the concept should be about. Like, I don't know, we'll, we'll have arguments about that a hundred percent, but I think ultimately we're always trying to do what's best for the song anyways. So I don't know. It's, it's usually pretty awesome, I, I would say. It, and if the song's not working and, you know, we're spending like days trying to make it something that's just like not, you know, facilitate or that's not materializing in a way that we like, then we'll just move on to something else. How important is it for y'all for your workflow that you have multiple people that are working on your project directly and also you outsource sometimes with other producers? I think you know, 95% of the people listening to this podcast work by themselves and don't have collaborators, let alone like a partner that they're working with. So how important has that been for you and the success that y'all have had? Um, well, I think in terms of collaboration between the three of us, like as a core, um, Anthony, Shaddy and myself, it just sort of solidifies a level of consistency. So uh, for example, if you know, Anthony hears something that I don't hear, he'll want to fix that. If I hear something he doesn't hear, I'll want to fix that. Yeah. And nothing comes out until we're all on 100%, you know? And that could be, like, Anthony um, has always mixed 
Shaddy's vocals for the most part. There's a few songs that I've done, but I, I generally record all of Shaddy's vocals, um, engineer them, we'll write all the lyrics and stuff together. And then Anthony will always sort of do the final mix pass. And I, I feel like that's also why there's a lot of consistency over the songs that have come out, because regardless of the producers that we're working with, we'll usually end up doing the vocal mix on our end. Yeah. But um, I would say that having the three of us creates this... Uh, this sort of level of like, if everyone's happy, we're good to go. Um, working with other producers has been interesting in the sense of we're a lot more open to hear what they have to say. Yeah. For example, if one of us has an idea and it's just the three of us working on it, we'll argue with each other potentially. Mm-hmm. Whereas if another producer sends us a beat and he's like, oh, I want to try this. We're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah let's try it. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're just, uh, I think it's because we're more, we've grown up together over the last like decade writing. And so we're, we're down to push each other a bit more. Whereas um, I think we're more open to other people's ideas when we're collaborating with outside producers who are sending us instrumentals and stuff. Like, I'm glad that you're talking about the fact that you work on songs, you know, a lot of them completely by yourselves, but you're also interested in outsourcing and working with other producers. Kind of going back to our demographic for this podcast, most people don't think about that, but that's a really common thing, especially when you get into more of the pop lane where even if there's artists that can do everything, they don't do everything all the time. Has that been something that's been intentional where you're like, I want to bring in other people or did you start off with wanting to do it all yourself and then kind of move into that later? Yeah. Like if you listen to the first two dirty radio records, um, debut and cassette, uh, debut was a record we did with uh, a friend of ours named Jay. And, uh, he's actually, he produces under the name stint and he's uh, killing it right now. He's got like so many amazing productions and he's living in Los Angeles doing his thing. And uh, so we did the first dirty radio record with him and he actually taught me Ableton as we were working on that record. So a lot of those beats were like uh, originated in my keyboard or on logic. I was, I was using at the time and then we'd end up like bringing it into Ableton and do the production in there with him. And then we bounce it out and mix it on pro tools. And then uh, he left and which sent me into a panic because I was like, damn, I, like this producer that I've been relying on who's showing me everything uh, is no longer around. So then I essentially like obsessively started using Ableton like 20 hours a day. Um, and then we did a record without him called Cassette, um, which was our second album. And again, this is all very like, it's just us. Maybe maybe a couple other people. We had a friend named Sherry St. Germain, who's super talented, who helped us on a couple tracks. Um, and then a few other like close collaborators, but, but I would say like the core has always been us where things really changed, I think was when SoundCloud started popping. Um, this was like maybe four years ago. Okay. Uh, and we would be on there listening to all these incredible producers like, you know, Kate Trinata or, uh, Pomo or these yeah. guys that, that were just putting beats out these instrumentals. And at that time we had finished a record and it, it sort of had been shelved to be honest, because of a bunch of shit that was going on with the label at the time. And, uh, they, they were going through like a big move and it just, it wasn't a good time to put out a record with them. So, um, as sort of a therapeutic way to deal with having your record shelved, we started taking these instrumentals on SoundCloud that we thought were super dope and then just writing on them. So same way we would approach like any other song, except we didn't make the beats. So Shaddy would start top lining, come up with melodies. Um, we'd write lyrics together. And next thing you know, we had like six or seven or eight tracks that were all like random SoundCloud beats that we were sitting on being like, damn, these are so dope. And yeah. again, like go- going to show how everything is so effortless in our, in our lane, I guess, or the way that things have, 
have worked out for us. Um, around that time, we were introduced to a uh, PR girl in New York. And we had had so much trouble with PR in the past, like just not getting on blogs or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, we kind of threw this idea out being like, hey, what if what if we throw you these SoundCloud tracks and you, you know, send them the blogs on our behalf and maybe you can like drum up some uh, interest in the project, especially while we're sitting here not being able to release music, you know, because none of these songs were being sold. They were all just literally going up on SoundCloud as like vocal remixes, I guess you could call them. And uh, after we did that, it was crazy. We just had, we had so many producers starting to send us beats or start to send us beats. And uh, that's how all of our collaborations at the beginning came, like uh, with everybody from Young Franco to Jean Tanique in France to, uh, you know, um, Just Kidding, like just so many people. So I, I think what that allowed us to do was sort of be creative at the time in a way that um was fulfilling artistically, but it also opened us up to other producers around the world hearing Shaddy's vocals and being like, oh, damn, maybe we should send them beats, you know, like, yeah. And, and so that's, that's sort of how that whole thing happened. And then, uh, and then, yeah, that's, that's when we kind of started being like, hey, if awesome producers want to send us beats, by all means, like, let's do it, you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, like your young Franco track was how I originally found out about you. So it makes sense being able to leverage what's going on elsewhere in order to get more like promotion and cred for y'all. I think it's super valuable the fact that you understood what your strengths were with you two as a duo and as a trio, which is to the most part, at least kind of what you're saying, the vocals, lyric writing and melody writing and leveraging that and then bringing in other people that can help you with other sides, you know, in particular with the production. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's very inspiring uh, from a producer standpoint, just talking about myself mm -hmm. to suddenly have other amazing producers you look up to sending you stuff and then you know that that puts you in a position to want to be better and that puts you in a position to want to try new things and and you know experiment with different sounds and uh yeah it, it, i i would say that really um set us on a course where from our own production it inspired us to go in the direction of what our record pleasures that came out you know i don't know how many months ago now but uh that, that was sort of like one of the biggest inspiring factors was starting to work with all of these uh, different producers around the world. So yeah, speaking of uh, your last album, talk a bit about how that came together. You talked about how the you know sound and influences that you were getting from, from the producers who were sending you beats were inspiring you. So talk about how that album kind of came together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was kind of funny because we had been putting out singles for quite a while at this point when we started talking about doing a record and we were sitting on so much music <laughs> like we just have so many songs and uh we were kind of sitting there being like yo if we don't put out a record like none of these songs are going to come out or like by the time that they come out they're going to be really old and we're not going to like them anymore because I, yeah. I think that's like i, I shouldn't say not going to like them anymore but you know as an artist if you're writing all the time like what you wrote a month and a half ago isn't usually as what you're stoked on is what you're writing in the moment, right? Really? Everybody's always like trying to top themselves, or at least for us, that's how it is. Yeah. So um, we were talking about doing a record, and originally we were like, oh, we should be putting all these collabs that we have 
on this record. You know, like all these songs that were like passing millions of hits on Spotify, everything from like the Franco track to like the Just Kidding stuff to, you know, stuff that uh, this guy Mike Mago. Anyways, we had all these tracks. And uh, then we kind of started looking at the logistics of it. And we were like, this isn't going to happen because they've all been signed. Yeah. <laughs> they've all been signed to labels like all over the world. Yeah. And to like now do a record with songs that have been signed, it's just, it would be a fucking nightmare. So at that point we were like, okay, well let's just start writing new songs then. Whatever we write that's new is going to go on this album. So we sort of made like a conscious shift that we would create a bank of songs. We already had had a bunch of songs kind of sitting there as like, okay, this might work. This might not work. And then uh, we, we started, you know, just writing every day ourselves and creating stuff. So I think, the record really started to come together when uh, Shaddy and I made the, it's the first track on the album. It's called Getting Deeper. And um, I, I made that beat. Shaddy came in, like literally came up with the melody in like five minutes, like recorded it. Like the song wrote itself in like half an hour. And that was sort of like where we were like, okay, we want to start the record with this kind of a vibe. And we have enough songs now to where, you know, at that point, it was going to be like a 10 song record, and then it became a 12 song record, and then yeah. a 14 song record, and then now it's 16 songs, you know, and it was just because we were sitting there with all this music we had written, and saying, like, if we don't put this out, we're doing a disservice to like anybody who likes our music, because it's just going to sit on our hard drive. Yeah, you know, like, it, we'd rather have it out if we're proud of it than like not. Um, I think that was sort of how the record evolved. But this album has definitely been really fun in the sense of working with so many different people being able to play the songs live in the set the whole album itself i feel is probably like our, one of our most focused bodies of work in terms of we really concentrated on uh r&b dance music and tried to like play around within that space and that lane and and sort of um I don't know, j just inspire ourselves, you know, like to me, when I, I, I want to listen to that record, I'll just like put it on and like, let it play. And so it, for, for us going from releasing singles all the time, it was cool to kind of switch it up and, and, you know, get in that mindset of doing a whole album, even though I don't even know if people listen to albums anymore. But for us, it was definitely a fun exercise. I mean, I feel like that's always how it goes nowadays, since everything in this industry is so single driven that if you're doing an album, it's mostly for yourself. Or, you know, if you have a f dedicated fan base, you can, you know, grow that or at least like support that fan base directly. But it's not the uh, recommended uh, course of action, at least any anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's uh, it was a debate for a while, you know, like just talking about what were the pros and cons of it. I think on an industry level, there's something about a record that's still more alluring in the sense of like, you can get nominated for a record, you know, yeah. you can tour a record. Um, an agent will look at you and be like, oh, let's put together like 25 dates in support of a record. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's sort of this weird traditional aspect of it that people really like. But um, yeah, it, 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 I, I think we just, we had no choice because we just had so much song or so many songs. I'd like to slide a little bit more into production. I know you're producing a lot of the music for Dirty Radio. So what do you feel like your normal workflow is like when you're creating a beat from scratch by yourself? Um, <laughs> man, that's like a, a loaded question. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the first thing I do now, cause I, I used to spend so much time just like smoking a joint and playing around, you know, like, yeah. like literally playing with like having no direction whatsoever. And I love making music like that in a way, but at the same time, it's not the most, economical way to make music 
Um, I think I've gone from being a total artist where you have no idea what the result is going to be to being like, no, I want these samples because I know they're going to work for this style. And I know the song's going to be this tempo and I'm going to be able to DJ it in this kind of a set. And I, I've sort of started to, I've not started, I've transitioned into making music like that. And I feel like the results are way better when you have an end goal. So if I sit down and I want to start a dirty radio beat, I'll, I'll think of like, you know, what haven't we explored yet? You know, what yeah. styles can we throw together that are like going to be fresh? Um, is it going to be hype? Is it going to be something that I know I'm going to want to perform with Shaddy and we're going to want to play in front of a crowd? Or is it going to be an intimate track that's supposed to highlight his vocals and like be more uh, minimal? And then that's going to dictate like the tempo and the sounds and sort of like the whole vibe that it's going for. And I think that's probably been the biggest change. Also, you know, yeah. with uh, putting like, we just made a, a sample pack for Splice. It actually hasn't come out yet. Oh, but no. um you know, putting together like a bunch of samples that we've been uh, using over the past like five years. Um, there's certain things I think that are really important to highlight as an artist that sort of give your production a bit of the originality where people know it's you. And uh, so, so, you know, returning to certain sounds, I think is like a really cool idea if you're trying to create something for yourself that actually stands out. I think nowadays it's, it's so easy to go on a site like Splice and download like the top five sample packs and make like a bang and beat. But is it really going to like stand out in the sense of, are people going to know it's you? Yeah. So that's kind of something that I'm more interested in is exploring things we haven't done yet um, and having a very... Uh, a very strong vision off the top of what we kind of want to go for. What do you feel like that vision comes from? And I'm asking this because I feel like so many producers walk into the DAW and get creative block just because they have no direction and focus. You know, I think there is something to having no idea where you're going to go and just letting the track write itself. But I think from a professional standpoint, the more you can have an idea of where you're going to go with the track, the better and more productive of a session you're going to have. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, in the most simple answer I can give you for that, and this is just me talking about myself, yeah. like, I just want to make music that I like, you know, like, the vision to me is that I actually want to listen to this. Like, I want to play this for girls when we're hanging out. I want to, like, play it for my friends when we're partying. I want to, like, play it live if I'm DJing. Yeah. Like, I want to play it because it's dope. And I'm going to only make dope stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, I don't know. That's, that's the only way I can really think of it. Right. Cause, cause otherwise it's like, you can just get so like sidetracked. Yeah. I think it's way too easy to make music for other people and not enjoy it yourself. And whatever those reasons are like for you, if you want to make girls dance and like be able to like play it out, that's what you want out of music. And I think it's super important and not always the easiest thing, but to like ask yourself, what is it you want out of music? Do you just want to like make music and not have to care about where it's going to go? Or do you want to make it for a specific like scene or culture or vibe? The better you can understand that, the better the result's going to be. For sure. And, and I think it goes back to that whole like music being a feeling thing. Like it, it's really, um, I don't think people who make music actually understand like the power they have, you know, like yeah. They really don't get that they're like an emotional wizard in like a weird way. You know, you can completely change how people feel about themselves and how they feel about the world around them by like what they're listening to. It's so crazy. And so to me, that's just my goal when I get into the studio and I'm making a beat. I just want to feel good. Like I want to feel like my life is amazing. I want to feel like anybody who hears this 
can be inspired by what I'm making and will like make them feel better, you know? So I, I think that's really, I don't know. That's, that's honestly like what it boils down to more than anything. And e- e- even when it comes down to like working on stuff that's darker or working on stuff that's more chill or working on stuff that's like, th- there's so many different vibes you can go for. It's just to me nailing that feeling so perfectly that people want to like get lost in it. How do you fuse the idea of letting the emotion drive the track with all of the production that has to go underneath that? Yeah, it's um, it's funny for me because I came from the fully emotional side of music, like yeah. no technical anything. Like I literally didn't even know what an EQ was forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I think I think this question is is best sort of answered depending on genre. I think certain genres you can get away with being really lo-fi, emotional, and the production doesn't really matter. It's more about the vibe and the song. Um, I, to be honest, I feel like that was why my beats were cool when I was starting out is because they sounded cool, but they didn't sound good. Yeah. Um, I think if you're, if you're trying to make, uh, EDM music and you're going up against, you know, um, AC Slater or like, you know, even Calvin Harris or something, I I feel like your technological, your, the technical side has to be incredibly good to get the, to be able to compete. But I feel like if you're making music um, that's sort of like the internet or, um, you know, even some of the old Childish Gambino stuff, yeah. it's more about just a cool vibe and and just being, uh, just sort of getting lost, like I said, in like the emotion of the track. So I, I don't know. I don't think the technical thing is, is necessary, to be honest. Like, I think obviously it helps. And um, for me, I've pushed myself harder in the last four years to master the technical aspect of music than I ever have in my whole life because of the kind of music I want to make. But, um, I don't think you need it. I, I don't think it's something, I mean, I know you don't need it. There's friends of mine who are crushing it, who just have cool ideas and their ideas are carrying them. And I think that's what it really comes down to. Looking back, you've been doing this project, the dirty radio for about 10 years. Is there anything you would have done different at the start of that project? It's a good question. Honestly, no, man. I feel like I've been riding it, been riding the wave. Like, it's just, it's all, it's all, I mean, okay, maybe do I wish like Splice existed when I first started <laughs> making beats? Like, yeah, that would have been dope because my shit would have sounded way more popping right off the top. But, you know, then I wouldn't have ever, I wouldn't have ever like hooked in my iPod to my keyboard and bit like Dr. Dre drums and put them on my keyboard and made a beat with like, you know, Dre drums. Like, like I wouldn't have creatively explored what I explored. I I wouldn't have, you know, spent three years making beats that sound like DJ Premier and Kanye West. Like, I I don't know. It's, it's just like, I think everything happens the way it's supposed to. And uh, I, I think kids nowadays are super lucky and also, in an incredible position to do like life-changing shit at a super young age because of how good technology is. And I think like understanding how to use that in order to create something new and exciting is a point that a lot of producers forget about. Like you have all these amazing drum samples and Mm -hmm. all these amazing synthesizers and presets, but you have to think about, okay, how can I use this to create something new? Like, I think, you know, the example of you ripping Dre drums on your iPod is awesome. And that was a way that you got creative and experimented because you just didn't have the knowledge and the tools to be able to create drums that sounded as good as them from scratch or just download them directly off of Splice. So I think it's like a really valuable lesson to take what you have right now and all the opportunities and think about how can I push beyond that? I'm not just going to settle 
with the samples that I have, just grab like whatever the sunny drum kit that is always at the top through a splice. Yeah, for sure. Well, and actually, um, sort of relating to that, I had just, uh, I, Anthony and I had just done a, uh, a mixing seminar in France called mix with the masters. Oh yeah. Dope. And, uh, we just went, we went out, we went out there for a week and it was pretty incredible, but, um, we got to hang with Timbaland for like a day and a half. And that was my first question to him. I was just like, how did you make your drum samples? <laughs> like, I was like, what that, what the hell's going on that I didn't know about? Yeah. And his answer was exactly what I was doing, which is he's like, yo, I was literally sitting there listening to records, biting kicks and snares, layering them, processing them and like making something completely different. And so I, there's definitely an element of that that I think is sort of lost nowadays because everything's so accessible. But then at the same time, you know, if you're on Splice and you're taking different samples and throwing them together and making your own thing, I mean, it's the same vibe, you know? It's it's There's no right or wrong way. 100%. Do you feel like there's anything from a songwriting aspect that you've picked up in the past few years that has made your music like better at the end? Yeah, for, for sure. I, I think something that Shaddy and I do together that... Um, sort of ensures a consistency in terms of like writing songs at a fast pace. Um, I think we always talk about, once we get the melodies, we always talk about a concept that lines up with the vibe of the song and we nail down the chorus right away. Cause I, I think the problem that a lot of songwriters get into, especially when you're doing lyrics and melodies is that, you know, somebody might start freestyling and they'll come up with a really cool verse and everyone's like, Oh, this is dope. And then it gets to the chorus and it's like, and now what? Yeah. And, uh, the way I sort of, I sort of approach it with him is that we always sort of write the song backwards. We'll do the chorus first. And then once you nail down the chorus and the chorus is banging, all the lyrics are there, then you sort of work in a backwards way and, and create the rest of the song around that because everything should technically be supporting with, with the courses. How do you feel like you got better as like a songwriter and lyric writer? Was that just writing your own stuff for a while or were you like studying the way that other artists were writing? Um, I think it was honestly just writing every day. Like yeah. he and I literally write every day together. Like that, th that was it. Like, cause even when I, when I listened to, when I listened to music that we wrote, I don't know, eight years ago, I'm just like, what were we thinking? <laughs> you know, like, like what, like we, like we thought this was good, but, but without writing, it's that, it's that 10,000 hour thing, right? It's like when you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you sort of just get better. Or I mean, hopefully you get better. I mean, you know, the numbers add up pretty quickly. If you write a song a day for two years, that's over 700 songs. By the end of those two years, song number 700 is going to be pretty good. And you'll have a much better understanding of what it takes to write a great hook and melody. It's simple, but yeah, it, it's daunting. It, no, it, it's true. Um, and, and even, uh, you know, I always, I, I like to look at it more as like ratios. Like, um, if we write 10 tracks and we've been writing a lot, then hopefully our ratio is pretty high. And like six of those 10 tracks are dope. You know, maybe you're starting out and your ratio is really low because you haven't written many songs. And so one out of your 10 songs is going to be great. Like that's a 10% ratio. But still, if you can get one great song out of writing 10 songs, like you got to write 10 songs, right? Yeah. So I think it's sort of like going to the gym every single day, but you're just doing it mentally with lyrics and melodies. And if you're just constantly pushing yourself on a daily basis, there's, there's no reason you can't create a hundred songs and like 20 of them are, are they've got to be good unless you just suck. And then yeah. like, I don't know, then you can go get a job at the mall, but you know, <laughs> you should write a hundred songs anyways and figure that out. <laughs> so to kind of close things out, what advice would you give to somebody that 
wants a collaborator, but does it know what to look for in one or really where to find one? Um, I think collaboration is sort of based on, at least with Shadi and I and how things naturally happen. Collaboration should just happen with somebody who likes the same stuff you like. You know, somebody who's as simple as it sounds, like they throw out, throw out an idea and you're you're like, yeah, that's cool, not, you know, the other way around and, and vice versa. And I mean, it doesn't mean you can't argue with people and it doesn't mean you can't like have different opinions, but I think um, aligning yourself with people who have really similar tastes is always a good way to go. 100%. So one last question. We've got a lot of newer producers that listen to this podcast. What advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out with production to give them the right mindset to have the best chance going forward with music? Um, man, it, it sounds so lame and cliche, but it's exactly like the songwriting thing. It's like make a beat every day. Like yeah. literally, that's all it is. It's just make beats after beats after beats. And then maybe as like a, a, a secondary thing to that, um, reference a lot, you know, like generally speaking, um, choose music to put your music up against and really a B it and see why it sounds way better than yours. Cause yours isn't going to sound good right away. Like there's no way. And the only way to actually figure that out and be able to train your ear is to reference something really good. So many artists, I feel like avoid doing that because they're intimidated, but it's ironic if you want to make your music sound like the pros, you need to understand what is separating you from your favorite artist tracks. It's simple, but a lot of people are too self-conscious and don't want to do it. But in my opinion, it's one of the best ways as a beginner to accelerate your growth. Oh yeah, it's hands down. But you're right. It can be a bit daunting because let's be honest, like it sucks when you switch to another track and it sounds a million times better than your track. <laughs> but, but if you can, if you can do that, if you can do that and you can, uh, you know, be humble enough to know that, yeah, it's, it's gonna suck for a bit, but really start to study why it does and start to study what they're doing that makes their mixes sound way greater or arrangement wise, what's working better or just, you know, in general, there's so many yeah. things to pick up from listening to a song. Referencing is the number one aspect to like getting better in my opinion. And especially as for us, even as mixers, you know, it, we're always referencing. Like, how else are you supposed to know if your hi-hat's too harsh sounding next to this or how is, or if the kick is hitting as hard? Like, otherwise, you're just mixing in a bubble, you know? Now, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can find Dirty Radio's music in the description of this podcast, so definitely give that a listen as it's just about over. Waspy, it's been great chatting with you and appreciate you being on the show. Cool. Thank you so much for having me.